and uh, we acknowledge that uh, you're still risen today, and we're thankful that you are, and thankful that you are at the right hand of the Father, and you are praying 24-7. It's hard to get our head around, it's hard to understand, but you are always interceding, and you're always interceding for us according to the will of the Father, so we know your prayers are always answered, and they are based on your perfect life, your shed blood, your resurrection. And so there are so many great truths that flow out of what we celebrated last week. And one of them is the fact that we can pray like this. Lord, forgive us for not utilizing this communication more. Uh, Forgive us for uh, texting and looking at our phones and checking updates more than we check in with you. And so, Father, we're here as a broken, as a humble, and yet as a saved people if we have placed our faith in you. And we want to bring the Calmies before you. And and, and here on the other side of the globe, on another continent, we pray that you would just bless and continue to work. And I know Mitch is thinking and working towards transferring that church to a Tanzanian pastor. It's time to do that, but the devil's not going to want that. And so I pray that you would protect and guide and lead. I pray that we would would continue to pray, especially this week, for the transfer and the training of a national pastor. Lord, we thank you for their faithfulness. We pray that you would protect their marriage, that you would protect their children, and that, Lord, you would use them in a great way. And, Lord, we pray you would use us here, that we would be protected from what the devil would want to do. And so as we're here on a day that uh, it's rainy, but we know the sun still shines and the sun is still risen. And so I pray that you would give us expectant and humble and teachable hearts for what you have for us this morning. Each person here is a divine appointment and each person here has something, Lord, that you want to say to them and to us as a class. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last Sunday was Easter. Take a look at this video. Last Sunday was a party. Last Sunday was a celebration. Last Sunday, we joined together and witnessed the most important event in human history. The resurrection of Jesus. The conquering of the grave. The redemption of creation. But what happens this week? is no less amazing. Jesus didn't just rise and ascend. He didn't just come back for the celebration. He came back with a message. He came back with marching orders. He came back to say, now it's your turn. I have done my part in bringing the kingdom. But just as God sent me, now I am sending you. So go, everywhere, make disciples, baptize them, teach them. Life will still be tough, maybe tougher. But know that through all of this, the trials and the joy, the tears and the laughter, I am with you. Always to the very end.
Amen. That's true. I always think uh, the Sunday after Easter is always a little bit of a letdown. It just it just is, and it doesn't help when it's raining like today. Amen. That's just uh, you know you I wake up. I wake up. We have a window right over our bed. And you just hear that rain, little patter, and it's darker than usual, and it's a little cooler. And, uh, you know, I just, you, you, and then you just realize, you know what, if God, if Jesus can raise from the dead, then I think I can get out of bed. And, uh, so I'm glad that you are here. And, uh, as that little video clip showed, there's something for us to do. And so I, I, I'm, I want to talk to you today about denial, dominoes, and declaring the gospel and show what that has to do with the resurrection. Uh, we had a great Sunday last Sunday, amen? And I am very thankful. Uh, we had exceptional praise music, didn't we? Terry, was it exceptional? But it is every Sunday, isn't it, Terry? It is, it is. No, our praise team, give them a hand. They just did a great job. And uh, I left all excited because, it, you know, it, it's, it, I think we have a very professional, uh, you know, praise team. Uh, and do a, a professional job, and Todd does a great job leading them. But what I enjoyed last Sunday was uh, our, 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 our worship leaders, our music leaders, were so filled with the Spirit that they were like shouting. You know, there was screaming at one point from the praise team. And uh, it was because they were just excited about the resurrection. You were excited about the resurrection. You know, they were. They were really excited. They were, I mean, there was shouting. And I'm like, that's what I want to hear. That's how I want to be led. Amen? I mean, my goodness. You know, it's just great to not be so professional that everything's staged and everything's just, you know, no, they're, they're worshiping as they're leading us into worship. And by the way, you can't lead in worship unless you yourself are worshiping. All right? And listen, if you're being led in worship, then we ought to be following in worship. But I'm getting off on another little lesson. That's a good one, but not for today. But here's the, here's the reality. As great as last Sunday was, as great as Easter is, do you realize that you and I could potentially deny the resurrection? Do you realize that you and I here, right here today, who were so excited, who were or leading, who were participating in praise, and, and even myself as a teacher of the gospel, uh, as a preacher of the gospel, we could actually deny that which we celebrated last week. And if you don't believe me, then turn to 1 Corinthians. Turn to 1 Corinthians 15 and look at verse 12. 1 Corinthians verse 12. We're in a series called Rise Up, Living for the Lord is Not in Vain. We're looking at 1 Corinthians 15, the great passage on the resurrection. But I want you to look at verse 12. Here he's writing to born-again believers in the church at Corinth, and he says this in verse 12. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead... Okay, that for us was last week, Easter. Christ was preached as raised from the dead. How do some... Among you say, there is no resurrection of the dead. Now that is mind-blowing. And we want to talk about that. Because here's the thing. The last thing you want to do is read that verse and say, that would never be me. That's those crazy Corinthians. That's those nutty Corinthians. That would never be me. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you that a year from now, some of us could actually deny the future resurrection of believers and still think we are good, solid Christians. 
And I'm going to show you why this morning. And so we're going to look at denial, dominoes. How many domino players do we have here? Any domino players that will admit it? All right, good, 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 good. Well, we, we're going to talk a little bit about dominoes. And then declaring the good news. So those are the three things I want you to see this morning. And here's the first one. So let's look at the first point. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived into denying gospel essentials like the bodily resurrection of Christians. Like the bodily resurrection of Christians. Don't be deceived into denying that. Now, why would you be deceived into denying that? Well, for the same three reasons that the Corinthians were. And I'm going to show you three reasons why they were denying this gospel essential. Now, last week we saw that the resurrection is a gospel essential. And if you need to, you know, refresh in your mind on that, that's verses 1 through 11 that we looked at last week. But what I'm going to give you is right out of 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Three reasons why we may be tempted to deny a gospel essential like the bodily resurrection of Christians. So here's the first reason. The the first reason is this. The devil distorts gospel doctrine like the bodily resurrection. We have an enemy, and he is not the government. We have the enemy, and he's not a political party, whether on the right or the left. We have an enemy. And it's not your 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 uh, uh, your coworkers. You know, it's not the culture. We have an enemy that's far greater, far power, more powerful, far more deceptive than all of those, and that's the devil. And in Second Corinthians, I want you to turn to Second Corinthians eleven. Paul is warning the Corinthians, saying, "Listen, part of the reason that you're off, part of the reason that you're getting doctrine wrong." is because you're being deceived by the master deceiver. So look at 2 Corinthians 11, and let's pick it up in verse 3. So follow along with me as we read in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3. But I am afraid, as the serpent deceived, there's the word, deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds, there's the battlefield. Listen, the battlefield on sin is how you think. And how you don't think. And how you how we have stinking thinking. Okay? He says, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. For if one... Now, look at this. If one comes and preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or you receive a different spirit, which you have not received, or a different gospel, which you have not accepted, you bear this beautifully... He's now he he's not he he's being sarcastic. He's saying, "I can't believe that you are so accepting of people who preach a different Jesus. That you're so accepting of those who who minister in a different spirit than the Holy Spirit. I can't believe that you allow others to come in and you put up with and you even accept and you're even proud of the fact that you accept people that preach a different gospel." Now you say, How could they do this? Well, it's happening today in the church. People think you're being spiritual by listening to different opinions. They think that you're being mature because, well, I can can listen to false doctrine and I can handle it because I'm mature. 
In fact, a, a, a real sign of the spirituality of our church, such people will say, is that we have different people come in that preach different things. That is very prevalent, very prevalent today. And it's a, and becomes a mark of spiritual pride and spiritual, uh, you know, we, we're really spiritual. And he's saying, look, you bear this beautifully. You're doing, don't do this. Don't do this. Now listen, look at verse five. For I consider myself not in the least inferior to the most eminent apostles. See, they were saying, look, the reason we want to listen to these, these new guys, these new preachers is because they're more fancy. They're better speakers. We'll talk a little bit more about that. But notice that he says, he's saying, look, I'm not inferior to him. But even if I'm unskilled in my speech, even if I'm not the best speaker, yet I am not so in knowledge. In other words, I've got the content of the gospel right. In every way, we have made this evident to you in all things. So drop down to verse 13. Here's what was going on in the church at Corinth. For such men are false apostles deceitful workers disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. He's saying, look, you're being fooled. They're pretending to be something they're not. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. They say they're righteous, but in fact they're unrighteous, and they're going to bear the punishment for their unrighteous living. Now, here's what I want you to learn from what we just read. This is how sound doctrine gets distorted and denied in local churches like ours. Satan will send in his people who look like the real thing. They'll talk like the real thing. They'll even act like the real thing. By the way, just like Judas did, no one suspected Judas was the betrayer. When he said, one of you will betray, everybody said, is it me? No one said, no one, the whole room didn't go look at Judas. Okay, why? Because he talked it, he acted it, and, and he looked the part. But listen, but when it comes to teaching, believing, and living according to the essentials of the gospel, they distort the essentials, and eventually they deny them. Now, here's what was going on in the church at Corinth. Some in the church had begun to deny this gospel essential of a bodily resurrection for future believers to the point that many in the church were now rejecting this doctrine of future bodily resurrection of those who died in Christ. And it would appear that the reason was, was because the ones teaching the false doctrine were, had these characteristics. Listen, they were more impressive looking than Paul. History tells us that Paul was a small Short, very unhandsome man. Don't make any more comparisons. Just think about that. It, 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 we know for a fact that they were much better speakers than Paul. Paul says, look, I know I'm not the best speaker. They had more spectacular approach to ministry in doing signs and wonders. And they were always talking in, 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 in unknown uh, uh, foreign languages through the gift of tongues, which is really the gift of languages, always impressing people. No one knew what they were saying, but boy, it was impressive. It's evidence of the Spirit. Paul didn't do that. Paul chose, even though he could have done that and used those gifts, he chose to speak in plain English, well, plain Greek, so that people could understand 
Because the point was not impressing them with himself, it was impressing them with Jesus, and you've got to share the gospel to do that. They And also, they were impressed with these false apostles because they expected to be paid for their superior ministry. And crazy old Paul, he's so inferior, he does his ministry for free. Now, I used to paint houses down in Dallas to get through seminary. And we painted in the high, uh, high Highland Park area where the rich people were. And if you wanted to get a bid on painting in the, in the Highland Park area, you had to bid high. Because the rich people want to pay for what they get. Even though we would give them quality for less, we had to overbid in order to get bids because there's a sense in which I get what I pay for and Paul gets his ministry free, so he must be inferior. Now, Paul had the right to be paid. He surrendered that right voluntarily. And so they thought he was inferior. Now, listen, what's the, what's the application for us? The bottom line is this. It doesn't matter what someone looks like. It doesn't matter how great of a communicator they are, how many books they sell, how big their ministry uh, 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 coliseum is. It doesn't matter how many stadiums they fill. It doesn't matter how big their church is or how much money they bring in. If they distort or deny the essentials of the gospel, they're wrong. Don't be deceived. Because behind that ministry and behind that man or that woman is the devil seeking to deceive you. Uh, no, now listen, the devil doesn't show up in churches like ours in red pajamas and a pitchfork with horns carrying a sign saying, I'm about to deceive you on the gospel. He shows up, or she shows up, looking good, looking the part, playing the part, and telling half-truths until you're finally pulled in and you're totally deceived. That's how it works. And that's how it works through a podcast. That's how it works through the television. That's how it works in a pulpit. It just works that way. And so don't be deceived. But it also comes through, number two, the world mocks the gospel. The world mocks the gospel. Uh, gospel doctrine like the bodily resurrection. You see, Paul warned Christians in Rome, in Romans 12, 1 and 2, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. And the way the world squeeze you in the mold, into its mold is the same way that the devil tempts you. It's through the mind. He says, renew your mind. Do, do not be squeezed into the world's mold. It starts with the mind. And I'm sure he had taught the Corinthians the same thing. But they failed to listen to him. And they were letting the Greek culture around them squeeze them into its own thinking about what happens to the body after death and how we should use our bodies before death. This was coming in from the culture. Let me show you how. The Greek worldview rejected and despised the idea of a bodily resurrection. I mean, they didn't even, they didn't reject it. It didn't even show up on their, their radar. Because here's what they thought. They saw the body as a necessary evil, and what was really spiritual was your soul, your spirit. So basically... As human beings, we are a spiritual soul imprisoned in a body. Now, when you're in prison, what do you want to do when you're in prison? 
You want to get out. You want to break out and you never want to return. And that's how they viewed the body. They viewed the body was, my soul is imprisoned in this body. I can't wait to die and be set free forever from a body. The thought of rising again with a body in the future is, is like going back to jail. You've got to be kidding me. Once I'm free of this thing, I'm free of it and I'm never coming back. That was Greek culture. Well, guess what? That kind of concept was being, they were being squeezed into. All those, all these Corinthians used to be, think that way, and then they got saved. Just like you and I had crazy thinking in the world. I remember before I got saved in high school, I listened to my biology teacher, my favorite teacher. I was her teacher's pet, and she just taught crazy talk about evolution. I mean, crazy talk. And it was even kind of racist. In, in, in the way it, it described the evolution of, of monkeys into man and, and some, and I won't even get, I mean, I won't even get into the thing, but it was a little racist in the way that it was uh, portrayed. And it made perfect sense to me. And then I got saved and I'm like, well, that was crazy. God created everything. Now, for you, intellectually, it might not come that quickly and that easy. I understand that. But what, what I'm saying is we had wrong thinking when we were, saved, when we were unsaved. And then when we get saved, we get squeezed and we can get squeezed back into that. Paul had to teach the Corinthians the very opposite. The gospel teaches the opposite. The body is not a prison. It's a house. It's a dwelling place. And so in 2 Corinthians 5, we won't take time to read the passage, but it's a great passage because in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul was a tent maker. You know, he was bivocational. That's why he didn't have to get paid for his ministry. And he made tents. And here's what he said. He said, look, our, our present bodies are like a tent. They're temporary. Tents are great for camping for a weekend, but nobody wants to live in one, right? Nobody wants to live in a tent forever. But he said, but here's my point. Even though I don't want to live in this body forever, it's not because I want to go without a body. And he calls living without a body being naked. Okay? Okay? I mean, like right now, if suddenly that nightmare you always have of being naked in public speaking, if that occurred right now, I don't, you know, I don't know what I'd do, but I know you would look away. Uh, or you would just be, you know, you would, I don't know what would happen, but it wouldn't be good. Because you don't want to be naked. And, and what he says in 2 Corinthians 5 is, the goal is not to get rid of this body and not have a body. This is a tent. What I'm looking for is that building, that permanent, glorious, permanent resurrection body. I don't want to go. And, and there will be a time. If, if Those who have died in Christ before the resurrection are most likely bodiless. They're naked. And they're longing to be clothed with their body. Now, the Bible shows us just how the Greek culture, the culture that the Corinthians were in, how they responded to the resurrection. Turn to Acts chapter 17. Turn to Acts chapter 17. Here we see Paul preaching the resurrection to the Greek culture, and it's it's fascinating. He's right in Athens, the capital, and in Acts 17, look at verse 16. Acts 17, look at verse 16. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was being provoked within him, and he was observing the city full of idols. So he was reasoning in the synagogue with Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles, and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be present. 
and also some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. The Stoics believed that there was a that God was a divine fire, and that every human being was born with a spark of fire, a spark of divinity that was imprisoned in their bodies. And when you died, that spark of divinity was set free to join the big fire of of deity, and 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 and, and, and you know just that was what they believed. So the idea of being resurrected, why would I want to be resurrected? My spark of divinity wants to be set free and join the divine fire. Now, you think that sounds crazy, but there's a lot of people that think that way. That there's a, everyone's born with a little bit of God in them. And that someday we'll rejoin that God. That People you work with believe that. So this is very common stuff. But here's what happens. He says, they were there conversing with him, and some were saying, what would this idle babbler wish to say? Others says, he seems to be proclaiming strange deities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. Now listen, deities is in the plural. Jesus, obviously, was being presented as God. They heard the resurrection as being a God, a female deity. So when he's talking about the resurrection, they're thinking this abstract... I mean, they're just not hearing what he's saying. And guess what? When you witness, people don't always hear what you're meaning. That's why you got to define and ask them to define. Do you believe in the resurrection? Yes, she's an awesome God. That's what they were thinking. Let's hear about this. We've never heard of this Anastasian. And they took him and they brought him to the... Oh, I never can say this word. Help me out. Arapagus. Uh, I always practice that, and I never can say it. It's a place where they gathered, to, all the smart guys gathered to hear all the crazy ideas. May we know what this new teaching... See, they never heard of the resurrection, which you're proclaiming. For you are bringing some strange things to their ears. See, it was totally foreign to the world's thinking. So we want to know what these things mean. And so down at, drop down to verse 30, Paul is preaching to them. And in verse 31, he says this, Because God has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. Now notice, when they heard the resurrection of the dead, some began to sneer, to mock, and to ridicule. But others said, we'll hear uh, we'll hear you again concerning this. So Paul went out of their midst, but look at verse 34. But some people joined and believed. So here you go. The resurrection is preached. They're freaked out. They've never heard this. They've, they can't even comprehend it in their culture. And they have three reactions to it. They either mock it and reject it. They either are curious and want to hear more or they outright believe in it. And that's the way our world and our culture is about the gospel. So don't be deceived. Don't be pressured to not believe something just because the world doesn't comprehend it. Because here's number three. The flesh rejects gospel doctrine like the bodily resurrection. The reason the world can't handle the gospel is because the world can't understand it. They simply can't understand it. The flesh rejects gospel doctrine. So let me stop right here and say this to you. Never forget, if you're here and you're a believer this morning, and you, you knew what Easter meant last week, never forget that you and I 
ever understood and embraced the gospel because somehow we were smarter than other sinners. That we get it because somehow we were superior to other people. There is one reason and one reason only that we are here this morning and not mocking, not in bed mocking the risen Lord, and that's because God in His grace and His Spirit revealed that which we would always reject if God hadn't intervened. And this is exactly what Paul tells the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Now, it's a great passage, verses 1 through 16. I would love to read it. We don't have time to read that. But basically it says this. The only way you can ever understand spiritual things if the Spirit of God reveals it to you. Because the things of the gospel are greater than what we could ever think what we could ever imagine, what any person could ever come up with, and it's the Spirit of God. The natural man cannot understand the gospel. That's why when we share the gospel, we've got to be praying. We've got to be clear, but we've got to be praying. Listen, here's what I want to apply from this. If your gospel makes perfect sense to a rational thinking lost person, then you're sharing the wrong gospel. If your gospel makes perfect sense to a rational, unsaved person, then you're preaching the wrong gospel. They don't have the mind of Christ. They don't have the Spirit of Christ to fully understand the meaning and power of the crucifixion and resurrection and doctrines like the Trinity or inerrancy of the Bible. Now, I asked permission of Robert to share this story, and he said, as long as I don't have to get up, you can share whatever you want. So I'm going to share even more than I anticipated because he gave me such permission. But Robert had an obstacle, like many lost people did, before he got saved, of understanding the Trinity. And so uh, I was the lucky guy that got to explain the Trinity to Robert as a lost person. And so we did take time, because you do want to take, there is rational, you know, the gospel is rational, but it's greater than reason. It's revelation. So we went through the questions. I drew every diagram I knew. I shared every billbook biblical illustration I could, and he still had this dumbfounded look on his face. Well, no. he had this dumbfounded look on his face. And finally, after several meetings several times, praying and talking several times, I said, Robert, here's the bottom line. You just need to accept Jesus, and he'll help you understand this. You just need to accept Jesus, because at the end of the day, I can't explain this. This is revelation. God's going to have to reveal it to you. You need God's Spirit. You do. Here is the gospel, and so receive it. And so he bowed his head, and we we prayed, and he accepted Christ, and he was fine. Are you, are you, are you still okay? Still okay. Uh, now, he can't explain it any better than I can now, and I still can't fully explain it, but that you, you get the idea. The flesh rejects this stuff. Listen, God has to reveal it. So when you're sharing, when you're, if, when, when, listen, the world doesn't get us. So don't start reducing the gospel to something that lost people get. Because the second you do that, if you try to explain biblical truth, biblical worldview, and you try to explain it on Facebook to the point where a lost person can understand it, you'll end up changing it. And that's what the Corinthians were doing. They said, look, we believe in a bodily resurrection. And their culture and and, and the unsaved people were saying, that's nuts. And they're like, okay, let me try to make it so you don't think it's nuts. Let's start denying it. Don't do that. Why? 
because denying essential doctrines has devastating consequences. Denying the essential doctrines of the gospel has devastating consequences like dominoes falling. Okay? Now, I don't play dominoes, and I never did growing up except to do one thing that everybody has done with dominoes. I almost was going to have them here, uh, but I thought we'd never get anything done, and so I was going to have some dominoes on all your tables. But I did find this. Here's an example. Now, there are thousands of YouTube videos of falling dominoes, but uh, some, Vicki, can you get that light? Uh, you'll enjoy this one, 85,000. And, uh, but I hope you keep that in your mind as an illustration of what happens when you deny an essential of the, of the gospel. When you deny an essential of the gospel, like the future resurrection of all believers, then you tip a domino that has devastating consequences. And when you don't want dominoes to fall, you know, the excitement about that is you wanted them all to fall. If they don't all fall, it's a failure. Now you gotta think opposite. You're setting them up. You don't want them to fall. And if you tip one, then you have tipped them all. And you're like this guy sitting in the cartoon on your notes. I thought that was funny. He's sitting there tipping those dominoes with no idea that they're going to crush him. Okay? And that's what happens. So let's read the passage, 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 19. So look in your Bibles, 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 19. Now, if Christ is preached that he's been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? Well, how they do it is they're tempted by, deceived by the devil, pressured by the world, and follow their own flesh. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, if you deny, if that domino falls, not even Christ has been raised. The first domino 14, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. 
the next domino. Then your faith in that preaching is vain. The next domino falls. 15, moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. Another domino falls. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. He repeats the first point, reminding us that all of this is tied to Christ's resurrection. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Another domino, very personal one. And then 18, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Those who you loved and who accepted Christ and who have died, you will never see again. They are lost. They are gone. You will never hug them again. You will never kiss them. You will never embrace them. You will never laugh with them. You will never dance with them again. (coughs) Excuse me. And 19, if we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men the most pitied. Thanks, John. And the way Paul tells this, it is like dominoes falling. Boom, 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 boom. You're saying, wait a minute, I, I just meant that first one. No, it's gone. It, you can't stop it. There's no way. It, it's all tied together. Let me give you another analogy. It's like that. Sometimes you have a sweater with a, a, a thread that's out of it, and you pull it, and that's great. It snaps, and it's, it's pulled, and it's fine. But other times you get that one thread, and you pull it, expecting it to break, expecting it to be fixed, and it's the thread that holds the whole sweater together and right across the front, and it's gone. It's gone. You, you, you pulled the wrong thing. You denied the wrong truth. Listen, if you deny the wrong truth, you'll lose it all. And so let's look at the first domino, denying the bodily resurrection of Christians and watch the dominoes fall. First of all, then Jesus himself did not rise bodily. The two are totally connected. You say, well, it looks like the Corinthians wanted to say, well, Christ rose physically, but we're not going to. And he said, you can't do that. It's all part and parcel. But I even think they were denying now that Christ rose physically. Because that's why in the previous verses... Paul emphasizes all those resurrection appearances because he's trying to reinforce to them, listen, Christ didn't just raise spiritually, he raised physically and 500 people saw him in a physical body, the same body. It is all connected. And I give you all sorts of verses to prove that, but the point is this. If you start messing with the gospel, you're messing with Jesus. And when you mess with Jesus, you mess with your own salvation. You just can't do it. You can't be playing with these things. You you must receive the gospel as it has been proclaimed and revealed by God. The second domino, that means the preaching of the gospel is meaningless. That means the preaching of the gospel is meaningless. Why? Because in the previous verses, Paul said, this is what apostles preach. They preach the resurrection of Christ. And if you deny the resurrection of believers, you deny the resurrection of Christ, you just gutted gospel preaching. Listen, if people can preach while denying the resurrection of Christ, then that's not preaching. 
Okay? Number three, that means our faith in the gospel is meaningless. That means our faith in the gospel. Because what do we put our place, our faith in? You put it in the preaching of the gospel. But if the preaching of the gospel is meaningless because Christ didn't rise from the dead, then that means your faith in the gospel is meaningless. And you say, now come on, Chris, are people this crazy? Is there really people that say they believe in the gospel and yet deny the gospel? Yes. All sorts of people like that. You, that's why, listen, that's why yes and no questions and witnessing are worthless. When you ask people, do you believe the gospel, and they say yes, discussion over. But you have learned nothing. You need to ask, what is the gospel that you believe? What are the essentials of the gospel? And then that means you need to know the essentials. And you're saying, well, I didn't go to seminary. Yeah, but are you born again? Because you can't be born again without knowing the essentials of the gospel and believe. Are, are you with me? So if you start messing with that, then your faith, that which you're trusting in, is fruitless. It's meaningless. It's hopeless. And that brings you to number four. And Paul really plants on this one in verse 15. That means the claims about what God has done are all lies told by liars. That means the claims about what God has done are all lies told by liars. Why is that? Because the, the apostles are saying, look, we're eyewitnesses that God has raised Jesus from the dead. But if God hasn't raised Jesus from the dead then I'm lying about what God did. Not only that, listen, Jesus is a liar. He repeatedly predicted, he repeatedly predicted that he would rise from the dead. And so if he didn't, then he's a false prophet and we can't listen to him. The apostles are false witnesses because they repeatedly preach this. Paul himself preached it all the time. But listen to this. You and I are liars if we're born again today. Because according to Romans 9, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's what we confess when we believe. And so when we tell people, here's how I got saved, when we get baptized, buried in the likeness of his, uh, of his death, raised, in the, we, we're lying. I just told a lie. See the lie I just told? Well, obviously Christ did rise. So obviously, the apostles are true witnesses. But here's what he's getting at. He's getting at this. Again, Paul is very, he does very subtle, sarcastic, to penetrate hearts. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, because this is true that Christ did rise, we are not liars, but who is now the liar? The one who says God never did rise from, raise Jesus from the dead. The person who says God never rose Jesus bodily from the dead and will not raise other Christians bodily, is a false witness, is a liar, and has said that God has not done something that He really has done. And they're under judgment and run, run, turn off the TV, shut off the podcast, go to another church if anyone would preach that. Amen? That's the idea. Now, number five. That means we're still in our sins with no way of ever being forgiven. We're still in our sins with no way of ever being forgiven. Now that gets really personal. Because here's the thing. 
And I, I have all sorts of tracks over there on the table. Sometimes we as Christians, we get so focused on Christ died for our sins. That's, part, that's an essential of the gospel. That sometimes tracks will only mention, like in the prayer of salvation or in the, in the presentation, they'll really only focus on Christ's crucifixion. Jesus, I want you to save me because you died for my sins. Listen, the gospel is crucifixion and resurrection. If he doesn't rise, your sins are not forgiven. Everything he did on that cross. That's why in some religions that reject the true gospel, they always worship Jesus on a cross. And that's sad because while it's important that he died on the cross, I don't worship a Jesus that's still hanging on the cross. I worship a victorious Jesus who can is risen from the dead, who is victorious over death, who is a living Lord of the living, and who can give life to the dead. And I'm dead spiritually, and I need life. And so we have crosses, but the crosses are empty because the Lord is risen. Very important. Listen to Romans 4.25. We don't think of a verse like this very much. He who, has deliver, he who was delivered over because of our transgressions, that's crucifixion, was raised because of our justification. We would never be declared righteous if Jesus never rose from the dead. Number six. And that means we'll never again embrace those who have already died in Christ as believers. Listen, he's getting really personal now. And I imagine in this room, there's every one of us knows someone, a loved one, a friend, a family member who has professed Christ. And you grieved at their funeral. And you wept. And when you think of them, even today, you will weep if you dwell on it too long. The separation, the loss. And yet, you don't grieve like an unbeliever because you have what hope? You have the hope of the resurrection. I will see them again, and their bodies won't be ridden by cancer. Their limbs and face won't be scarred by the accident. They won't be frail and weak due to being in their 90s, but they will be alive and strong and perfect and glorious in their bodies, and we will hug and we will embrace and we will dance and we will worship, and we will bow, and we will work in the new creation together like we never had before. Listen, if the dead aren't raised in Christ, none of that is going to be a reality. None of that's going to be a reality. You can have your spark reuniting with the fire of deity. I'm taking a bodily resurrection with a bodily risen Lord in a real new creation that's real and substantive and physical and wonderful. Isn't that exciting? Wow, that's awesome. That brings us to number seven. And that means our lives are the most miserable of anyone to live like a Christ follower. And to live like a Christ follower is the most foolish thing one could do on this planet. Listen, if, the, if there is no future resurrection, then we, uh, you know, it's like Mr. T, I pity the fool. Okay. Probably don't have the accent right, but I pity the fool. I pity the fool who lives for Jesus without the hope of the resurrection. And let me let me end with this kind of explanation because you hear this a lot. I grew up a lot after I got saved, seventeen. I, I grew up a lot hearing 
well-meaning Christians and, and sincere preachers say, even if Christianity's not true, I'm so glad I lived the Christian life. And how many of you've heard that? Okay. And I get what they mean. And there's a, there's a level of truth to that. You know, when you live for Christ, you avoid harmful activities, immoral activities, overindulgences that can ruin your liver, that can give you sexually transmitted diseases. Uh, being a well-disciplined Christ follower will make you much more successful in school, much more successful in the workplace. I get all that. But the only reason we could ever say that living for Jesus now, even if there's no future, is, is worth it, is if we're not really suffering persecution. If we're not really making sacrifices to live for the Lord. Now, why do I say that? If there's no resurrection after death, then everything that we do for Christ here is, is worthless and not going to pay off in the end. In other words, what I've been doing with my life for the last 25 years has been a total waste of my time. I picked the wrong profession, I guarantee you, if there is no future resurrection. But listen to this. Think of all the mornings you have wasted on Sundays if Christ is not risen. You could be sleeping right now, as some are. Here and in bed. You could be, you could be, you could be sleeping right now. You would have a whole nother full day of your weekend. Think of the money. You who tithe and give 10% and more of your income. Where would, that, just think how much easier college would have been. Paying for college, Randy. Just think of it. You're wasting it. If this isn't true, it's crazy to do that. Time spent serving in, in through this church has been a horrible waste of time. I can't think of anything crazier to do than to serve in your church if there's no future resurrection. Every friend you lost for being a verbal witness was a stupid move on your part. Every family member who has rejected you for taking a biblical stand, that was the dumbest thing you ever did. Every physical or sexual pleasure you refuse to enjoy outside of marriage, you missed your chance for a whole lot of pleasure and a whole lot of self-satisfaction if there is no future. You see, you are to be pitied if there is no future. But flip it around. Because it's true, when you do all of those things, you have the most desirable future ahead of you than anybody in the universe. Every cent invested in missions, in the Calmies, every cent invested in this church has been counted, reckoned, and will be rewarded. Every loss and sacrifice you've made, every person who's rejected you, every family member that's misunderstood you, you will be rewarded a thousand times more in the kingdom to come. And every, and, and, and listen, and we're headed for this in our country. And it is increasing. It is inflamed around the world. People are losing their heads for the gospel. Their homes are being taken from them. Their lives are being tortured. And you know what they're saying? They say, I count it all loss 
for the glorious knowledge of the suffering of his crucifixion and the power of his resurrection. It's all true and it's going to be worth it. And don't pity me because I'm entering into his presence as a faithful witness. Amen. So I don't know where you're struggling in your walk with Jesus. I don't know what pressure, what persecution. It may come from a spouse. It may come from a family member. It may come from a co-worker. I don't know where it is, but if you're trying to live for Jesus, you're, you're suffering loss. And I just want to encourage you, your life is the most desirable because the best is yet to come. Amen? Now, next week, obviously, we're not going to get to the third point. We'll talk next week about how this should motivate us in declaring the gospel. How this should motivate us in declaring the gospel. Because here's my burden for you. Listen to me. Here's my burden. I don't want us to be like the youth camp kids who go to camp, get all excited, and then come back and we're not changed. I don't want to celebrate Easter last week and not let it impact our lives this week. All right? So you see today what it means to deny the gospel and to the devastating domino effect. But next week I want you to come... And we're going to talk through this in a totally different way of how it should shape our evangelizing. Amen? And just to get a head start, there's tracks over there. Let me challenge you. Take one of these tracks and then give it to a lost person this week. Give it to a lost person. Be daring. Just go crazy. Okay? You can do it. And God will work through that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of the gospel. I thank you that you revealed it to me. I was searching because you were drawing me, but I didn't know what I was searching for and I didn't know what I was going to get. But you led someone that cared enough to share the gospel with me, invite me to this very church. And Lord, each person here that's born again has a testimony like that. You have revealed that which our flesh rejects, that which the world mocks, and that which the devil worked to get us to deny. You conquered all that because you're all-powerful and you're living and alive. You're the Lord of the living and you can raise the dead. I pray that we would have a gratitude and a commitment to share that good news with others. Lord, let's still celebrate Easter every Sunday and every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Pick up a track and hand it out this week. Pray about it. Ask God to lead you to the right person.